Chapter Twenty One of Idiala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Idiala by Sarah Grand. Chapter Twenty One. Idiala was unable to exert herself for many days after this. At last, however, she began to think of work again, and of Lorimer. She was uneasy about him. He had not been himself on that last occasion. Something was wrong. She could not think what, but she felt anxious. And out of her anxiety arose an intense longing to see him again. So she wrote, first of all fixing the twenty-third for her visit. But when the day came, she found herself unequal to the exertion, and wrote again, begging him to expect her on the twenty-sixth instead. He did not reply. He was generally overwhelmed with correspondence, and she had therefore begged him not to do so if the days she named suited him. Up to this time, she had never heard Lorimer mentioned by anyone. But now, suddenly, his name seemed to be in everybody's mouth. She thought of him incessantly herself, and it was as if the strength of her own mind compelled all other minds to think of him while she was present, and to yield to her will and tell her all they knew. For, curiously enough, she had begun to want to know about him. I call it curious, because she was so confiding, so unsuspicious, and also so penetrating. She never seemed to care to know more of people than she learnt from intercourse with them. But with regard to Lorimer, she had evidently begun to distrust her own judgment, which is significant. One night, at a dinner party, she was thinking of a gratuitous piece of information an old woman who brought her some milk on one occasion at the great hospital had given her. Idiala had noticed that the old woman had a bad cough, and had asked her, in the usual kindly way, if she were subject to it, and what she did for it, remarking that the North Country air was trying to people with delicate chests, and warmer clothing and greater care were more necessary there than in the South. And thereupon the old woman had launched forth, as such people will upon the slightest provocation, with minute details of her own sufferings, and the sufferings of all the people she ever knew, from the bronchitis during the winter and spring, Mr. Lorimer being included among the number. Does Mr. Lorimer suffer in that way? Idiala had asked with interest. Indeed, yes, was the answer, given with many shakings of the head, and that air of importance and pleasure which vulgar bearers of bad news assume. He was very bad in the spring. He coughed so as never was, and had to give in at last and keep his room, which he should have done at first. But it takes a deal to make him give in, for he takes no care of himself, though not strong. And we were in a way, eh? But it would be a bad thing for this place if anything happened to Mr. Lorimer. Idiala gave the woman half a crown. People may have bronchitis without being delicate, she asserted. Mr. Lorimer is very kind to all of you, I suppose. If I was to tell you all his good deeds, ma'am, the woman said impressively, I'd not have done before tomorrow morning. 
But as to his not being delicate, she continued, in the hope, perhaps, of scoring another on that point. Why, it just depends on what you call delicate. Idiala absently gave her another half-crown, and another after that, but she could not get her to say that Mr. Lorimer's chest was strong. Later, when Lorimer returned, and they were both at work, he was interrupted in the middle of some cynical remarks on overpopulation, and the good it would do to check it by allowing the spread of epidemics and encouraging men to kill each other, by the arrival of another old woman in great distress. His manner changed in a moment. "'I am afraid he is worse,' he said to her, most kindly. She could only shake her head. "'There is the order,' he went on, giving her a paper. "'Get him these things at once, and tell him I will come as soon as I am disengaged.' When they were alone again, Iriala looked at Lorimer and laughed. "'Another instance, I shrewdly suspect, of the difference between theory and practice,' she observed. He brushed his hand back over his forehead and hair, a trifle disconcerted. "'He was the only son of his mother.' and she was a widow, he said. And one can approve of capital punishment without having the nerve to see it inflicted, I suppose, Idiala commented, and be convinced that it would be good for the human race to have a certain number of their children drowned like kittens every year, and yet not be able to see a single one disposed of in that way without risking one's own life to save it. Verily, I have heard this often, and yet I think I am more surprised to find it true than if I had never been warned. But that is always the way. Things surprise us just as much as we expect them to. When we went up to the river to Canton and saw the pagoda, we all exclaimed, Why, it is just like the pictures, river and junks and all. If we had not seen the pictures, I believe we should scarcely have noticed it, and certainly we should not have been surprised at all. "'Haven't you done being surprised yet?' Lorimer asked. "'No. Have you?' "'Quite. Nothing ever surprises me.' "'I have read somewhere,' she said, trying hard to recall the passage, "'that fast men—stupid men, I think—and rascals profess to feel no surprise at anything.' The color flew over his face. He seemed about to speak but took up his pen again, as if the thing were not worth the trouble of a word, and went on with his work. The habit of treating men as ideas is not to be got rid of in a moment, and it was only when she thought it over at dinner this evening that she saw anything to hurt him in what she had said. Now that she did think of it, however, it certainly seemed natural that he should object to being classed in any category which included fast men, stupid men, or rascals but even while she blamed herself, and credited him with much forbearance, in that he had allowed her rudeness to pass unpunished, she was conscious of the existence in that substratum of thought, which goes on continually irrespective of our will, of a doubt as to whether he might not, after all, be one of these, say, a fast man. For what did she know about him? Nothing, except that his manners were agreeable. True, she had heard of his good deeds, and there is never smoke without fire. But a man may balance his accounts, and many men do, in that way, 
topping up the scale of good deeds pretty high when the bad ones on the other side threatened to turn it. And, seeing that she knew nothing definitely about his private character, suppose she had been deceived in him. But no, the thing was impossible. And just as she thought it, a gentleman sitting opposite, one whom she had not met before, looked across the table and asked her if she knew Mr. Lorimer. I have seen him, she answered, with a burning blush, being taken unawares. He's a charming fellow, don't you think? Yes, I think so, she agreed, with an indescribable sense of relief. And the next day, a young clergyman, whom she stopped to speak to in the street, began at once about Lorimer. I met him at dinner the other night, he said. I suppose you know him? There is much truth in birds of a feather. He fascinated us all with his talk of art and literature. He gave us such new ideas, described such varied experiences, and all with such grace and power. Yes, she answered thoughtfully. I believe he is brilliant. Many people are that, was the reply, given with hearty enthusiasm. But Lorimer is something more. He is good. He makes you feel it and know it and believe in him, without ever saying a word about himself. Ah, she sighed, there is power in that. What lovely summer weather. It makes me dream. Don't you love the time of nasturtiums? Their pungent scent and their colors? They seem to penetrate and glow through everything and make the time their own. And so she left him. But that same day, an old gentleman, who came from another county, and looked as if he had come from another century, an old gentleman with curious wavy hair, parted in the middle, who worshipped the idol of days, the past and all that belonged to it, and, for evening dress, wore knee-breeches, frilled shirt, black silk stockings, and diamond buckles in his shoes, and had a bijou house, filled with a thousand relics of his idol of days, where noble ladies were wont to loll and listen to him, and drink tea out of his wonderful cups, and love him, so it was said. This gentleman called on Idiala. He came to charm and to be charmed. And he, of all people in the world, the one from whom she would least have expected it, although she knew they had met, began to sing Lorimer's praises. He raises the tone of everything he is engaged upon, the gentleman said. He has not quite kept faith with me about a matter he promised to look into for me a year ago, but doubtless he is busy. I suppose you know him? Yes, I know him. He seems to be very much above the average. Oh, very much above the average, was the warm response. He's a charming fellow, and a thoroughly good fellow, too. This was the chorus to everything and there was only one dissentient voice, that of a man who admired Idiala, and was a good soul himself, having gone out of his way to pay her trifling attentions, and even found occasions to do her some small acts of kindness. He began with the rest to praise Lorimer. But when he saw he was doing it at his own expense, by diverting her attention from himself to his subject, he somewhat lowered his tone. Everyone seems to like Mr. Lorimer, Idiala said. Oh yes, he's certainly a nice fellow, but he puts a lot of side on. 
and while he may, being so very good and well-beloved, she answered, smiling. So spoilt and conceited, you might say, was the rejoinder. But she felt that there was jealousy in the tone, and only laughed. What an interesting face he has, a lady remarked, who was having tea with Idiala tete-a-tete one afternoon, and had brought the conversation round to Lorimer, as seemed inevitable in those days. He must make a charming portrait. Yes, it is a fine face, Idiala answered dreamily. A face for a bust in white marble. A face from out of long ago. Not Greek, but Roman. Of the time when men were passing from a strong, simple, manly, into a luxuriously effeminate, self-indulgent stage. The face of a man who is midway between the two extremes, and a prey to the desires of both. I wish I had been his mother. His mother was a noble woman. I know, but she was not omniscient, and she never could have understood the boy. I dare say he was not enough of an ugly duckling to attract special attention, and with many other chicks in the brood, he could not have more than the rest, and yet he required it. He ought to have been an only child. If he had been mine, I should have known what his dreaminess meant, why he loved to wander away and be alone. What was the conflict that began in his cradle, or earlier? Surely a mother must remember what there was in her mind to influence her child. She must have the key to all that is wrong in him. She must know if his soul is likely to be at war with his senses. And then Idiala forgot her listener, and burst out with one of those curious flashes of insight, irrespective of all knowledge, to which she was subject. If I were only a soul to be saved, he would save me. But I am also a body to be loved, and whether he loves me or not, he suffers. It is the eternal conflict of mind and matter, spirit and flesh, two prisoners chained together, the one despising the other, yet ruled by him, and subservient to the needs of his lower nature. The lady stared at her. You know Mr. Lorimer very well, then, I suppose, she remarked. Let me see, said Idiala, awaking from her trance. That is a question I often ask myself. And sometimes I say I do know him very well, and sometimes I say I don't. I go to the great hospital frequently to read, and to look up information, and he helps me. He is a man who makes an instant impression, but he is many-sided. And now you ask me, I think on the whole that I do not know him well. I should not be surprised to hear any number of the most contradictory things about him. It is not a nice character to have, the lady said. No, Idiala answered, not at all nice, but very interesting. When at last the day arrived, she felt an unusual impatience to see him and she was in a strange flutter of nervous excitement. Should she tell him of those things which she had not been able to confide to him on the last occasion of their meeting? Could she? No. Impossible. But she must see him nevertheless. The desire was imperative. The servant she had been accustomed to see met her at the door of the great hospital. 
she fancied he looked at her peculiarly. He said he had heard something about Mr. Lorimer being absent that day, but he would inquire. He left her, and returning in a few minutes, told her Mr. Lorimer was not there. Did he leave no note? No message for me? Idiala asked, faintly. No, madam, nothing, was the reply. End of chapter 21